0: Amen. What great hope there is in the gospel. Wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in and through Christ Jesus our Lord. May the name of the Lord be praised. If you have a Bible, please open with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. And we'll be focusing our time this morning on verses 13... Through 17, and the title of the message today is Fearing God and Loving His People. And with that title and with with the headings that we're going to look at, I want to push us to a specific conclusion in this text that as we consider the idea of submitting to earthly authorities and honoring all people, as we'll see in the word in just a moment, that those must work in cohesion really in submission to the idea of fearing God and loving his people. Now, this passage is obviously a familiar one, given the goings-on in the world of the last two years. We've had the COVID pandemic, and we have seen local and federal governments respond in various ways, and many have taken this passage or the corresponding passage in Romans 13 to look at the idea of what is the church's duty? What are believers duties in responding to earthly authorities? While that was necessary, I think in many instances, we even took a time to look at Romans 13. We come now to this passage looking at it within its broader context. So you have those one-off messages, but then you also have this passage now in the broader context of 1 Peter where Peter is writing to suffering saints, to saints who are dispersed, who are suffering for their faith. And to see such a well-known passage in its broader context, I think, can often be eye-opening. And I think that will be the case today, again, as we work through this, considering what is going on, what Peter has written about, and what he will write about to these saints who are scattered abroad. So with that, let's look to the text and read God's word. If you will, please stand with me as we want to give attention to the reading of holy scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 13 through 17. This is the word of the holy and only God. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether as to a king as the one in authority, Or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men. And do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the King. May the Lord bless the reading of his words. You may be seated. And I ask that you now will bow with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, you are in heaven, ruling and reigning. You are sovereign over all. You are holy you're just you're righteous you're wise you are gracious your loving kindness endures forever your mercies are new every morning great is your faithfulness lord as we come now to sit under the authority of your word we come knowing all those things about you, that you are above all, that you reign, and that you are glorious. Lord, would you cause your word to be illuminated in our hearts and our minds by the powerful working of your Holy Spirit? Would you cause us to give proper attention to the truths of Scripture? Lord, as we have seen this week, things can change in an instant. Life as we know it can change in an instant. But Lord, your word endures forever. Your promises remain. And you are good. We ask, Lord, that you would Reveal our sin to us. That you would grant us repentance. That you would conform us to the image of Christ. Would you cause us, Lord, to understand more of your greatness and your glory? More of your call to us as your people to worship you in fear and reverence as the holy God who is above all. Lord, how we thank you for your promises. How we thank you for the instruction of your word. How we thank you for that eternal hope of salvation. Won and purchased by Christ at the cross. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Pray that your spirit would move among us today, that we would have ears to hear and hearts that are ready and eager to receive and apply the truth, all for the sake of your glory. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, we have been studying Peter's epistle as we have looked at his instruction and his encouragement to saints who are scattered abroad in this. Region of the Middle East, and they are being persecuted for their Christian faith. Peter has called them to hope in Christ, he has called them to rejoice in their trials. Peter has written that they should be holy as the Lord Himself is holy, that they should fervently love one another, and at the end of chapter one, that they should hope in the enduring word of God. Ultimately, Peter has written to remind these saints of their great and glorious salvation. And as we saw a couple weeks ago, moving into chapter 2, verse 11, he kind of shifts into the second portion of this letter where he goes from reminding them about the greatness and the glory of their salvation to reminding them that they have a testimony about that salvation before the world. That the way that they live, the way that they interact with the world around them speaks of the glory and the power of Christ. And that, this second section really takes off now as we get into verses 13 through 17. And Peter begins by instructing about how the Christian should submit to earthly, worldly authorities. But we have to see that this is not divorced. This is not separated from our spiritual lives. Our call to fear God and love his people. So as I said a moment ago, I want to build this text up because I think that's the undercurrent of this whole text is the idea that all that we do when we consider our testimony before the world has to hinge on two things, fearing God and loving his people. Those are the roots, the basics of the Christian life. So we can't rightly understand how we are to honor all people if we don't understand and rightly practice our love for our fellow saints. We can't understand and we can't rightly practice an honor for earthly authorities if we don't fear the king of kings. We must fear God and we must love his people. Peter builds this case kind of in reverse. He, he starts with the lesser and works to the greater. So if we wanted to give a primary command, kind of a primary focus of our time today, it would be this. Fear God, live as his slaves, love his people, submit to his authority, and honor all people. So there's a lot of exhortation. There's a lot of direct command in this text when you really kind of broaden out and look at this in in the fullness of its context. Fear God, live as his slaves, love your fellow saints, submit to God-ordained authority, and honor all people. So let's look firstly at verses 13 and 14 and the idea of submitting to God's authority. Submit to God's authorities. Verses 13 and 14. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Now, there's a lot to get to in that. We could really spend a lot of time there but I want to move a little bit quickly, and before we can look at what is biblical authority, what is the misuse of that authority, where, where are the bounds of that authority, the first thing we need to consider is what does it mean to submit? You know, what does it mean broadly to submit, but then narrowly to submit to earthly authorities? To submit, it means to arrange under, to subordinate to subject or to put into subjection so very clearly very pointedly the lord is talking about true and genuine subjection and submission now being in a a church being with the people of god we should understand a little bit about some uses of the idea of submission we understand that we don't get to define the meaning of a text or the meaning of a word, and so God does, and God defines what submission is. You think about a military officer. They subject themselves, they submit themselves to their authorities, the next in the chain of command. A wife submits herself to her husband as the church submits to Christ. A child submits, biblically, to his or her parents. Those are some some ideas of what submission looks like. Now, does that mean that a colonel always likes or agrees with the direction that his general gives him? No, absolutely not. But he does it. He submits himself. Does a wife always agree with the decisions her husband makes? I think if we're all honest, we would say, no, they don't. They shouldn't always because we're not sinless people. We don't know all like the Lord does. So a wife may not always agree with the decisions that her husband makes. Do children always like and understand the instruction and the rules and the commands of their parents? No, absolutely not. But the call is to submit that's the idea of submission i think we can all understand that and we have to be careful that we don't understand submission in one way with these categories and then we come over here to the idea of government and governing authorities and give a new definition to the same biblical term the same biblical idea when we talk about submission it is subjection of one's will and one's behavior to the authority and instruction of another period End of statement. Subjection of your will and your behavior to another. Now let's give a caveat because that's going to be very important when we think about governing authorities. There are times when governing authorities will tell you to do something and it goes against God's word. And as the disciples said in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. There are biblical examples throughout Old and New Testament of the people of God obeying God rather than men. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to worship the golden image, and there were grave consequences, but for the Lord's saving mercy. Think about Daniel. In Daniel chapter 6, he refused to worship King Darius and continued to worship God as he was supposed to. He broke the law to obey God. In Esther chapter 3, we saw, saw a story of Mordecai refusing to bow down to Haman. Again, breaking the law because we must obey God rather than men. So what's the point? The point is that submission is important. Submission is a real charge. It is a real command to God's people in how we respond to the authorities that he ordains and puts in place in this world. We are called to submit, but there's a clear line, a clear line that sometimes becomes a little blurry, according to some, more blurry to others, some than it is to others. But there is a line whereby we say, no, you are commanding me to break God's word and I will obey God. We, as God's church, will obey the Lord. The church belongs to Christ, and Christ sets the rules of operation and the rules of engagement for his people. Period. Again, end of discussion. So Peter says we submit for the Lord's sake. We submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution, to kings or to the governor sit in their place for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do right now let's zero in on that because that really begins to tell us the proper function of these worldly and earthly authorities they are sent for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right herein lies the rub Governing authorities have this narrowly defined biblical task and authority to punish evil and to praise and reward good behavior. You see it multiple places in Scripture. That is the role of government. Now, is it wrong or sinful for us to have local governments for municipalities and and those types of things? Of course not. But when we get into the idea of right and wrong, what what you can and cannot do, what is when the church can meet or when it can't meet, what the church can or cannot say, their duties are very narrowly defined. They punish evil, and they praise what is good. We live in an age where society, and obviously many even in authority, completely flip that command on its head. They praise what is evil, they condemn what is good, We live in a society that is so wicked that not only do we do that, but they elect officials who will further push that agenda. And as the church, we must stand our ground. We must respond carefully, and we must think about this with biblical clarity about what is the line of the authority of worldly government versus the authority of God and his word and the church. The Lord clearly sets up governmental authorities for a purpose. I have a couple quotes from MacArthur that I think will help us kind of push through to a couple points of, of application, implication as to how we can think through this and put it into practice. MacArthur said that believers must never engage in acts of vigilante justice. We cannot be justice warriors and go out and practice justice on our own. Think back to two summers ago when parts of the country were burning because of acts of vigilante justice. That is not the church's duty. That is not something the church should even condone or support. We have laws. We have law enforcement officials to go and put those things in practice. So we must condemn those things and be separate from those things. MacArthur also said that the role of government is clear. It is to create fear that restrains evil, punish those who do wrong, and protect those who do right. So we must submit to those authorities. We should encourage our authorities to put into practice those things that they are created to do. When, when we, if you were to break a law and the authorities were to come to you to hold you accountable for that, you should allow them to do that. They are called to punish evil. They are put in place by God for that very purpose, to punish evil and to praise those who do right. So just because we don't like a particular law or a particular rule, if it does not break God's written revealed word and command, we don't have the authority to choose what we obey or what we follow after or what we will submit to. We submit up to the line where they cross the truth of Scripture. As in, the, in the last couple of years, you have, if, if you've read or kind of followed some evangelicals, you may have heard about the idea that there are spheres of authority. In life. For example, God is authority over all. God has authority over all things. God ordains civil authorities. The church has an authority. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ ordains under shepherds to carry out the authority in the local churches who are Christ. The father, the husband, is the head of the home. So when we think about authority, we understand that there are, are locations where different people will have different levels of authority the husband and the father is the head of his home and the government does not have a right to intrude into that unless there becomes something criminal something that breaks the law that they need to then go punish what is evil obviously the same applies probably even more broadly to the church christ is the head of his church he commands what the church does he ordains and commands what the church teaches we submit to christ and christ alone and what we need in i think in both of those instances the home and in the church what we need is men who will stand up and stand firmly proclaim the truth and do what is right the reason that we have such an overreach of government not just in America but across the world even i think is because people men do not stand up and lead so to drive this to some application if if we want to if we want to hold our authorities accountable for not overstepping their bounds what we need to do is stand up and speak and live the truth we lead godly men with Spine and backbone to stand up, lead in the church, and lead in their families, lead in their homes, and cut off government overreach into those areas. So that's Peter's first exhortation. I don't want to dwell too, too long here because there's more text to get to. But we submit to earthly authorities. They have a narrowly defined task and duty and we likewise, likewise have a narrowly defined reason for disobedience. It's when they cross over the line of God's word. And so we have to hold those two in, in harmony. We have to apply some biblical wisdom and discernment to see and determine where that line is because there are times when it may not be crystal clear. But we see that we must submit to God's authorities. Now secondly, in verses 15 and 16, we see that we must live as God's slaves must live as God's slaves. Peter continues on, for such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. You must act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. This is the will of God, Peter says. We are to submit for the Lord's sake, and this is the will of God that we live as his slaves that we submit our lives to God alone that we do what is right we've talked a lot about submission but Peter really drives the point home here he says that this is the will of God that you do what is right so you don't just blindly obey a governing authority you don't blindly even obey church leadership or leadership in the home you do what is right you do what is biblical Doing what is right and what is biblical will not always be expedient. It will not always be easy. It will not always be popular. But Peter tells us to do what is right. This is the will of God that you do what is right. And there is a result of doing what is right. What happens, Peter says, when we do what is right? He says, so that you may silence the ignorance of foolish men you may silence the ignorance of foolish men now again the last couple of years i think we have seen a lot of foolishness in, in the world abroad we've seen a lot of foolishness and a lot of ignorance and what we realize is foolishness and ignorance are not often silent those who are fools speak much. There, there's a lot said by those who think a lot of their own personal opinion, and what we are to do is to do what is right and silence that. But I think there's a, a specific context, too, to this statement. Look back to verse 12 of chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, verse 12, Peter says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify god in the day of visitation they slander you as evil doers that is ignorance that is foolishness at work when the people who are doing what is right are slandered as evil doers we are to do what is right in order to stop up the mouths of ignorant fools who want to spout off slander and hatred towards god's people who pursue God's commands and live righteously. That is a clear and, and pertinent outworking of obedience is that it silences those who attack God's people. It silences the ignorant fools who want to call evil good and good evil. So let's think about this historically for a moment. Um, think back to the time of Jesus and then the early church. When Jesus walked the world during his earthly ministry, one of the reasons that he was hated is because he claimed to be a king, which he is, and those who were around him, the Jews and the Romans, were afraid that he was going to cause a political uprising and and try to overthrow the Roman government to upset the status quo, and so they hated Jesus for that. And that stigma really stuck to the early church. There was always this kind of concern that, that they would rise up in a political upheaval to try to overthrow the government, to set up some type of theonomy or some type of Christian government. And I think from this text what we can see is we must reject that notion and we put a stop to that idea by living in humility, by doing what is right and thereby silencing what is really foolish ignorance. Christians have no call to overthrow the government. Remember what Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, verse 2. He said to pray for those leaders so that you may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. That is the goal of the Christian as it pertains to civil government and earthly authority we pray for them and we interact with them in such a way that we might live a godly life in peace and tranquility now you look around and you see that's not always the goal for or it certainly doesn't seem like it's the goal for many in evangelicalism they want to go along to get along they're not willing to stand up on anything or you also have another side that is super aggressive super abrasive and always on the attack when Scripture tells us pray and live in such a way that you can have a peaceful life without government interference or intervention. Live and interact in humility. That should be our primary goal as we relate to authorities, that we live in such a way that we are able to walk with the Lord, live as the Lord's church, go and evangelize the lost, without any interference without any restriction and if we would walk in humility if we would interact with patience and love and kindness and gentleness even while firmly standing upon the truth scripture seems to indicate that we could make progress the lord says that that is what we should seek that is what we should pray for Peter continues in verse 16. He says, act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. You are to act as free men. You have a freedom in Christ. Now, what is, again, the specific context of this? I think it's the idea of freedom from the control and freedom from the fear of the world. Live and act as those who are not drawn and tied to the world. Paul said in Galatians 6.14 that the world was crucified to him and he to the world. He was free from the cares and the concerns and the draw of the world and its wickedness and its lust and the fleshly desires. He said, all of that is crucified and I boast only in the cross of Christ. The allure of worldly possessions must be gone the desire for worldly prominence the di- desire to please the flesh must be cut off we are to live as free people as free men and women who are free from the power and the tyranny of sin the free from the power and the control of desire to please and be popular in the world christ is our king we serve him As his servants, we do not serve the things and the ways of the world. Peter continues, though, he says, Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. Again, much could be said about the idea of Christian liberty and Christian freedom and how it is used as a covering for evil. It's another discussion for another day, and there are other texts that probably handle that more broadly. But our freedom in Christ should not be thrown in the face of others. It should not be thrown in the face of fellow believers, and it should not be thrown in the face of the world. This freedom does not allow us to disregard the law and the rules of the land. We are free from that power and penalty of sin, and so now we live as God's servants, as God's slaves. We we obey the authorities ordained by God, And we remember that God is our highest authority. That's what Peter goes on, finishing verse 16, to say. He says, use your freedom as bond slaves of God. Use your freedom as bond slaves of God. What does a bond slave do? What does a servant do? What does a slave do? They do whatever their master asks. If you are a slave of the Lord, you do whatever the Lord your God commands because you are his slave and you are set apart to do his will. I've heard it said before of the members of the president's cabinet that they serve at the pleasure of the president. They serve at the pleasure of the president, so that in that the president can fire or reassign those cabinet members anytime he wishes. With or without cause, he can make changes and move on. They serve at the president's pleasure. We serve God at his pleasure. We serve God as his people set apart to do exactly and only what he commands. The Lord would be completely holy and wise and just if he were to so choose to accomplish his purposes without using us. But the Lord uses instruments, and the instruments that he typically most often uses are those who give their lives as free, open sacrifices for him to use. Those who say, Lord, I am your slave. Do with me as you will. You are free in Christ because he paid the penalty for your sin at the cross. Live as his slave. He laid down his life for you. What might he ask but that you lay down your life for him? Live as God's slaves the Lord is our ultimate authority he and his word are our our ultimate authority and we serve him as his people those set apart to accomplish his purposes we have but one allegiance our one allegiance is to Christ and to his word and to his truth there will be I assure you plenty of opportunities for us to practice civil disobedience I'm sure there's a way in which we're practicing that today as we're gathered and proclaiming and preaching the truth of God's word that goes against much of what our government stands for. So there will be plenty of opportunities for that. So let's not have prideful hearts and use our freedom to use this supposed freedom as a veil and a covering for those prideful and evil hearts. Let's live in such a way before God that we live in humility That our humble obedience to him, even when we go against the rules and the laws of the land, that we're so humble and so gentle that it disarms and it quiets the foolish arguments of ignorant and sinful men. Live in submission to God's word. Speak only that which God would have you speak, and you have nothing to fear. Stand upon the truth, and you can't fear doing what is right or what is necessary because you're submitting to the king of kings. So we've seen that we must submit to God's authorities. We must live as God's slaves. And then thirdly and lastly, in verse 17, we see that we must fear God and love his people. Again, the the passage kind of crescendos at this point because everything we've said to this point comes underneath this idea. Verse 17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. So again, listen closely to those. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. So there's three descriptions and there's four people groups. Now, anybody that can do some math understands there must be something there. Three descriptions applied to four people groups. We see that we are to honor all people. We are to honor the king, but then these spiritual relationships get their own identifier, their own, their own description. We are to love God's people and we are to fear God. So there's, there's this contrast, right? There's this contrast. We are to honor all people, but love the brotherhood. What does it mean to honor all people? To honor all people comes back to the root level of creation God created man in his own image all people are created in the image of God and there is intrinsic value in being created in the image of God there's that value whereby we must honor all people ethnicity social status um, disability skills personality none of that changes the intrinsic worth of all people each person in this room, each person ever even being began to be knitted together in a mother's womb is created in the image of God and is worthy to receive honor as one created in God's image. But there's a contrast. That, that's a high calling in itself to honor all people. But I think we can clearly see that to love the brotherhood is an even higher calling. Because we are to honor the brotherhood as those who are created in God's image, but we are also to love them. Back in chapter 1, verse 22 of First Peter, Peter said that we are to fervently love one another from the heart. Fervently love one another from the heart. We are to stretch and to strain and to work hard in our love for one another, for our fellow saints. 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Love of the brother, the brethren, love of the brotherhood is a mark and a requirement of believers. You must love your fellow saints or you are showing to be one who is outside of the faith or at best in need of much repentance. You remember what Jesus said in John 13, right? He told the disciples, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We could spend a lot of time describing what love for one another is. Uh, We have spent a lot of time describing what love for one another is. Simply stated, it is putting yourself aside and serving the greatest interest, the highest good of your fellow saint. It is a love that 1 Corinthians 13 describes as being patient and kind. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. We could read all that. What love is, it is sacrificial. It holds to what is good. It clings to what is good. It pursues what is good. And it hates that which is evil and to the detriment of another. So when you see a fellow saint in sin or being tempted by sin, the loving thing to do is, right, is, to, is to go correct that, to pursue accountability. It is also loving to pursue gentleness and love and, and patience and kindness and giving of yourself, of your time and of your energy and your resources to serve your fellow saint. So that is what love is, kind of in a nutshell. So we must honor all people, but we must love the brotherhood. So there's the second earthly to spiritual contrast that we fear God and we honor the kings. Let's start with the idea again of honoring the king because we'll start with the lower and work to the greater. Honor can speak of valuing something, but it can also speak of holding something in a position that is worthy of authority or worthy of giving submission to. And that's really what it talks about, how it's applied to the idea of honoring the king. We see the the king, the, the civil authority, as being those who are in a position whereby we must submit to them according to God's rule. We honor them by submitting. But there's a spiritual relationship contrasted against that, and it's the idea of fearing God. The idea of, rever- of having reverence and awe of the God who is the holy God, the creator, the all-knowing one, the all-powerful. We fear this God because he does as he pleases. He is great. He is greatly to be praised. We must submissively honor kings, the civil magistrate, but we must reverently worship the king of kings. We submissively honor the earthly kings, but we reverently worship the king of kings. Now Peter's letter is written to those saints who are scattered, who are suffering, and he also describes them as those who are pilgrims. They are on a journey to an eternal home, They are citizens of another kingdom. So I want to pull in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, to kind of tie this thought together. Hebrews 12, verse 28, it says, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, again, remember, these are citizens of another kingdom. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable servant's with reverence and awe we offer god because we have a coming kingdom a coming home we offer to god acceptable service with reverence and awe we reverently worship we fear god because of his great promise our kingdom our eternal home our coming citizenship as hebrews tells us is one that cannot be shaken the earthly tents in which we dwell praise god are not our eternal homes we live in these bodies that are that are wounded and broken by sin we live in a fallen creation where moth and rust can destroy where sickness comes where There is inevitably death that comes at the end of every life. This is not our home. We are recipients of kingdom that cannot be shaken. And the response of that is the response seen in 1 Peter 2.17. We fear God. Because fearing God as the sovereign, as the divine, means that we reverently worship him. We don't cower in fear We come before his throne covered in the blood of Christ and we worship and we praise and we give our lives as a sacrifice to him because we have full devotion to him because of the work that he has done in us. So to bring our time to a conclusion, just a a few closing thoughts. We must fear God. We must fear God and love his people. We must live as God's bond slaves as we make our pilgrimage to our eternal home. The idea of being a slave of God should mark everything that we do. We are his people. We serve at his pleasure and at his directive. You're gloriously free in Christ to do these things. You're again free from the tyranny of sin. Sin was once your master. But you are now free in christ you are also free from the tyranny of earthly authorities when an earthly authority tells you to go against god's word you are free you are commanded by god to reject that sin and walk in truth and walk in righteousness we must honor authorities and we must honor all people but to undergird that, to, to always be held in balance with that, we must never do that in expense of living according to a proper fear of God. We must never do that at the expense of properly loving God's people. Really, if, if, you, would, if you study the broader context of Scripture, you will see that your love for God's people must always take priority over your love for the people of the world. Now, that does not mean that we don't go evangelize, that we don't go preach the good news of Christ. But you can't properly love the people of the world until you rightly love God's people. The Lord will not bless our evangelistic efforts if we neglect his church. Fear of God produces love for and obedience to his word. Love of God's people leads to sacrifice and to personal investment in God's people. And God's people are the gathered church. Your investment and your sacrifice when it comes to people should be the people in this room. This is the assembly of God's people. So we honor our authorities. We honor all people. Dear friends, love God's people, love God's church, fear God, and love his people. May we walk by the Spirit. May the Spirit of God work in us to apply the truth of his word. May we live in such a way that we glorify our Savior, that we honor the price that was paid for our redemption. And may our greatest and our only allegiance be to the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, we come now to your throne of grace once more. We thank you for the truth of your word, and we pray that you would apply it to our lives. We ask that you would help us to rightly submit to our earthly authorities we pray that you would help us to understand the call to honor all people lord knowing that all people are created in your image but lord may we hold all that together and in proper balance with our call to love your people and to fear you for lord you are over all things you hold all things together You're worthy of all of our love and devotion. We ask that you would write your word upon our hearts. Bring us to repentance in the areas where we have sinned. Cause us to grow. Cause us to be more like Christ. We ask all this in his name. Amen.